Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Carrie Lutz's Financial Survival Network, where you get valuable information you just can't find anywhere else. To thrive in today's trying times, you need the Financial Survival Network. Now more than ever. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and get your free newsletter and gift. Financial Survival Network, now more than ever. Welcome. You are watching, listening to the Financial Survival Network and to Mining Stock Wealth. I'm Kerry Lutz, and we've got a real honor treat. Some, somebody who can really help you a lot in your resource investing. And you're gonna really be happy to hear from this person. Professor, he's done extensive training in the mining sector, consultant to companies, to governments around the world. And his name is Robert Stevens, AKA Rob Stevens. The book, which I consider to be for investors, really the Bible of Mining is Mineral Exploration and Mining Essentials. You'll find a link to it in the show notes to this interview, so you can pick it up on Amazon. It's costly, but it is one of the best investments that I have personally made in the sector. And if you got a question for Rob, just send us an email to kl at kerrylutz.com. Rob, it is great to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, we're talking pre-call challenges that the industry faces. Well, I want to talk about you, how you got into mining, but this, this question is really like uh, burning inside of me. The biggest challenges that mining, that the industry, that the resource industry faces in the coming years, because there are shifting demands, priorities, and basically the industry is kind of twisted like a pretzel now. Mm, yeah, well, thanks very much, Kerry. It's great to, to be here and I appreciate the opportunity to uh, have a chat uh, with yourself and your listeners. Uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, the, uh, the mineral exploration and mining industry is, is already um, experiencing a little bit of a boom here. And I think as we go forward over the next decade or more, uh, the demand for minerals and metals is only going to increase. Uh, we were talking about uh, transition to a low carbon uh, economy. Uh, which uh, certainly where I live and these heat domes we've been having this summer uh, suggests, a, you know, it's an important need. And um, how are we going to do that without the metals uh, to move us to an electrified economy? Copper being probably the most important, but there's many other commodities as well. 
Um, and we need to be able to, to uh, uh, discover and then mine uh, far more copper than we are right now. And we need to do that environmentally and socially sustainably, but we still need to do it. And, and I think, uh, as you mentioned, uh, there's going to be some challenges with that because it's difficult to permit. Uh, new operations. It can take a very, very long time. And I would also say that to some degree, the the low-hanging fruit, those easy deposits that are near the surface that were easy to find and and, and mine, um, you know, those aren't out there anymore. Uh, so it's going to be a more uh, challenging uh, environment to, to to make those new discoveries and and develop them up. But uh, the other side of it, it makes it exciting, right? It means that there's going to be lots of new new opportunities for discoveries and. Uh, stock market activity and and uh, good investment opportunities too. So, for sure. So you're at the uh, really the pinnacle of the industry here, from education, from actually doing it. Uh, what led you to mining? Yeah, well, I mean, I uh, was always kind of a I so I suppose interested in science and B the outdoors. And so, uh, as a um, you know a young adult and student, I, I got into geology mainly so I could go work in the bush. And uh, I did that for many years, uh, more than a decade, mostly in, in northern Canada uh, as a field geologist, uh, working on exploration projects and mapping projects. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And and uh, much of that time I spent working for junior companies here in, in Vancouver and British Columbia. And what I really loved about those two is that I wasn't just a geologist, technical guy, but you had to be a little bit of a jack of all trades. You know, you had to be thinking about mining. I mean, if you're staring at rocks, you always got to think of the ultimate end goal. And um, I like talking with investors and the stock market side of it and the engineering and the entrepreneurialism that that comes with it. So, uh, you know, that got me interested far beyond just staring at rocks as much as I love that to the whole scope of the industry. And um, what I love about the training I do now is it's really helping lots of people who are involved in the sector, but, you know, don't, don't know some of the nuances so much uh, to, to, to understand that. And it's great teaching people and watching the lights go on because they often know little bits of stuff, but not quite how the whole picture uh, works together. And, and so, uh, Training is something that uh, I kind of evolved into, I guess I would say, and, and really love. It's uh, it's a lot of fun doing that. Hey, was there one person or a group of people that kind of set your imagination on fire as a younger man that said, I got to get into this industry. This is where I belong. Mm. You know, I, I can think of certainly a professor I had uh, when I was in my undergraduate who was a real character and and um, was a field guy, um, and he really in, enticed me to, to get into the field. But I think it was always that uh, lure, particularly uh, in Canada, of going north, right, and going and working up in the north. And uh, I spent many years working in the Yukon, up in just such some incredible areas. So... Uh, that was a real driver. And then, uh, you know, I think as I got older, I got a lot more pragmatic and I started, you know, just like we talked about how important these commodities are. And uh, I get a little frustrated by some of the, you know, bad publicity that mining gets because I, I know the people involved and I know the effort and work that they do. And, and, and it's actually pretty incredible to find something that is hidden and buried beneath the ground and ultimately develop in a rock that has no value into something that could be worth billions of dollars in the end. That's an incredible wealth generating activity that benefits so many people uh, beyond the broader society that needs those products. So 
yeah, I got interested in the whole scope of things uh, as as time went on. Hey, so it's the ultimate treasure hunt. That's the way I see it, uh, really, because uh, all true wealth at least under conventional definitions, springs from the earth, your ability to marshal, to master the earth's resources. But mm. it's not that simple anymore. And this is where your aid to investors really, really kicks in. Because without that fundamental knowledge of the industry and the risks and the, the efforts that are involved in bringing a mine online, you're really kind of just throwing darts at the board. Mm. How do you think uh, your knowledge uh, can be of most help to your average investor in the sector? Yeah, right. I mean, really good point. It is a, a it's a highly technical uh, industry, and I think one of the biggest tricks or challenges is that we're trying to, at the exploration stage, discover something that we can't see. So, uh, so much different than other resource sectors, forestry as an example, where you can see the forests, you can understand their value and, and plan out, let's say, forestry activities. But with exploration and mining, you don't know. It's, it's buried beneath the ground. Uh, you have to have geologists that are very creative and thinking about, uh, you know, the, what is there. And then you have to drill and you have to drill a lot of holes. And uh, that's because it's the only method that we really have at the exploration stage anyway, that actually gets down in the ground, brings a rock sample as drill core up to the surface where it can be uh, studied and analyzed. And, and, you know, then you start to get a bit of a sense of what's, what's actually beneath the ground. So drilling is a good example to me, um, probably more than anything else. Uh, it's drilling results that can capture uh, an investor's eye. Uh, certainly good drill results can drive a, a stock uh, price up considerably or the reverse if they're not good uh, uh, drill results. Uh, so what I like to do is is help people understand, okay, well, Sure, they need to know a little bit about drilling. You know, what's involved? Why are they drilling? Why do they target as they do? Uh, but I always like to start with people and say, okay, well, if you're looking at a, a news release uh, from drilling, first thing is to do some assessment on that. Why did they drill? What was the purpose for that drilling? Were they trying to make a discovery? Were they trying to expand a discovery they already found? Or were they doing what we call infield drilling, which is kind of technical drilling necessary to be able to ultimately do a resource estimate or a grade in tonnage. And I think the reason why that's important is that the, the meaning and the potential for those drill results is different depending on the reason why they drilled. Uh, you know, for example, if it was to make a new discovery, and these is the, this is the first set of drill results from a new discovery, that can be super exciting. You know, and, and that, that's where you can see a lot of action in, in the market. Um, maybe the other end of the spectrum is if it's drill holes that are this infill, as I said, which is essentially drilling between holes that we've already done in order to better define the geology necessary to do our grade and tonnage estimate mine plans and those kinds of things. So that drilling is technically important, but in a way it's kind of telling us what we already know, or it's reaffirming, affirming what we already know. So it tends to have less excitement on the market. So even though it might be great results, um, it's kind of great results in and around already great results that have been released and, and may not do anything for the market. So, you know, an investor might look at it and go, wow, why, great results. Why didn't that do anything? So then they need to step back and say, what was the reason they drilled and what are they actually you know, releasing in that, uh, in that press release. 
Yeah. So understanding that data is really crucial to being a successful investor. You know, I I think back uh, once upon a time, 30, 40 years ago in the oil exploration business, if you hit one out of 10 holes and you found oil, you were doing great. And now it's uh, if you don't hit nine out of 10, you're doing something wrong. The whole thing of 3D seismology in the mining industry, what do you think the most significant technical advances have been in the past decade? Don't just survive, thrive. The Financial Survival Network. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has a tight share structure, and with its current treasury, it can self-fund the advancement of its gold discovery into at least 2022. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. This is the Financial Survival Network. The information you need to thrive now more than ever. You know, I think that probably... um, one I would say is on the processing side. Uh, so the ability to recover the metal or the minerals out of the rock that you've mined. So for example, if it's gold, how do you actually get the gold out of the rock that you've mined? And I think, uh, you know, it might even extend more than 10 years, but processing methods have become uh, increasingly efficient uh, and we can recover greater quantities. I mean, you're never going to get 100% of the gold out of the rock, but if you can get 95%, then, then that's great. Uh, so higher recoveries, uh, more efficient, which brings your costs down. And so uh, you're able to mine lower grade deposits, um, which ultimately was something like copper as an example. I think we're going to have to get there. I mean, there are a reasonable number of known copper deposits close to the surface, but that are not, you know, their economics are kind of questionable because they're too low grade. Uh, well, if we get more efficiency in our ability to mine and process that copper and the price goes up, um, those will become economic. And I think we're going to need to get there because we're going to need that that much copper. So uh, I would say processing is probably one of the, uh, the biggest ones. Uh, and then, you know, I think that um, equipment generally, which kind of comes to processing as well, uh, being able to move rock around more efficiently, uh, crushing and grinding it better. That you know those kinds of things that all bring your costs down uh, on the mining operation. So the the unit cost or the cost to produce, let's say, a pound of copper now, on average, would be quite a bit less than it than it was in the past, and so that's good. Right. Yeah. Well, that makes total sense, and uh, we've seen. Uh, revolutions in uh, recovery over the decades and centuries have made huge differences in the economics and uh, also in the prices. Because I guess in the final analysis, you can't get away from the fact we're dealing with commodities. There are cycles at work Mm. far greater than man that man has yet to bring under control. And I was just showing my associate uh, a year ago copper was at 221 now it's at 442 it's doubled from its low and and this unpredictability uh 
and the tendency of man uh, to underinvest in the areas that need most investments just going to increase the volatility in the industry, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned cycles because uh, uh, exploration and mining, I mean, it is very cyclical. Um, most resource commodities are, but uh, certainly uh, minerals and metals are. Um, and, and I actually really like to watch the cycles because they're fairly uh, reproducible. Um, you know, not in the one-year time frame or two-year time frame, but if you're willing to go in the five to 10 or longer time frame, you can see those cycles and they repeat themselves on a fairly uh, regular basis. And I uh, totally agree with you. What often happens is that, um, you know, the best time actually to be exploring and investing in a, in a, commo- a mineral commodity is at the low point in the cycle. Because given how long it takes you to do that technical analysis and the permitting to eventually get a mine into operation, if you do all that at the low points in the cycle, you're probably going to be starting production closer in, if not at the, the high points in the cycle, which is going to make that that operation uh, so much more viable. What you find is that everybody, of course, starts investing when commodities are up, when you're at the top of the cycle, because there's lots of news flow, and that that's important. I mean, investors need news flow. Uh, but then that goes into development, maybe at the low point of the cycle. And if it was marginally economic, uh, it might not be able to make it there if if metals are down. So I think it's really good for important for investors to to know those cycles, kind of know where we're at, um, they're not totally predictable, but they are reasonably predictable in a, in a multi-year time frame. So uh, helpful, I think, to know those. Yeah. So as uh, Mark Twain uh, is famous for saying, uh, history doesn't repeat, but it certainly rhymes. And certainly in commodity cycles, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. One area we were talking about pre-call, obviously, is the inability of governments around the world. This isn't a Western phenomena. Perhaps, uh, perhaps in Asia, uh, they could just pick up and do what they want. But throughout most of the world, uh, there are these regulatory hurdles. And whereas the technology for extraction has certainly improved quantum leaps over 100 years ago, it seems like when you get to regulatory matters, governmental permitting, things like that, we've actually gone back in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I would agree. It uh, it can take a, a very long time and a big cost uh, for a company to move a project through the permitting and regulatory processes to, to ultimate production. And, um, you know, as I was saying earlier, when we talked about it, what I've seen is that um, as new concerns come in, whether they're environmental or social in particular, uh, new layers get added to permitting and, and new requirements, but nothing ever drops off on on the backside. And so it just ends up getting bigger and bigger and 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 kind of bloated. And um, I think, you know, part of that is uh, governments um, don't like to take risk. And, and I, I get that. I mean, on behalf of their people, they're they're risk averse. But, you know, that also means you miss out on opportunities um, for the people of a jurisdiction if if you don't. Uh, Provide the environment for mines to get into uh, to get into production. So uh, it, it's a little bit of that risk averse bit, but it's also about doing some evaluation and just saying: Are all these regulatory requirements actually achieving what we set out to achieve? Um, now, with that being said, uh, you know the, there's been a lot of work by the industry to improve its social and environmental performance, to have it front of mind and, and top. Uh, and I think that that is important for investors as well because. Um, uh, 
just in some news releases I was looking at this morning, one about a mine that uh, had a community blockade, for example, and, you know, operation stopped for a while. Uh, well, they then needed to work with the community. Now, uh, even the companies that do the best work ever to, to avoid those, there may be issues that pop up. Uh, but um, uh, really, those companies that put a lot of effort into managing their social and environmental are, are likely to have uh, less concerns about that um, and hopefully move through the regulatory process faster. So, um, you know, we're not likely to get governments to change all those regulatory processes too quickly. So I also like to look at companies that are on top of that, that pain as it is, you might as well embrace it because you're going to have to deal with it. And if you do embrace it, then you can get on top of it and get through. Yeah, you can't really change uh you know, one company cannot change the uh, government. Uh, that's been tried before and it hasn't been pretty. <laughs> and uh, we don't really want to see that again, of course. But mm -hmm. uh, but the idea of look at where mining's evolved to now. It's a different mm -hmm. industry. I mean, you just go out to the uh, Wild West in the U.S. and places like Montana and there's you see the damage that it did to the earth. And you know that that would never happen uh, mm -hmm in today's best practices. And yet governments are still treating it as if, as if that's their business model, just to mm -hmm. destroy the environment and not put things back the way they were when they leave. And I think there needs to be some type of recognition by these regulators and governments that this is a different industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And uh, actually, a fair bit of work that I have been doing over the last number of years is on mine closure and, and working with governments uh, to help uh, them better you know, understand about mine closure, what requirements they should have. And a lot of that is, is trying to sort of uh, break people from their impressions of the past. Because what people do see are these uh, impacts on the land from uh, previous mining, acid rock drainage, those kinds of things. Um, not to say that environmental issues can't still arise, but my feeling is, is that a, a new mine uh, that's permitted today that goes into production, it is, has so many environmental checks and balances in it. It needs to have a closure plan right up front that says, what is this land going to look like after the mine uh, closes? Uh, those decisions that are made in consultation you know, with governments, communities, local interests, uh, so you have that right from the word go. You're thinking about how you're operating your mind to minimize its impact and to be ready to reclaim it and turn it back to a natural setting or some other productive uh, uh, activity. And I think that's one thing people often think, oh, we, we need to turn it back to nature. That makes sense in, in many places, but not everywhere. If you've already got a disturbed site, why not look at what else you can do with that site? And I think that there's lots of good examples. A solar field is one. I mean, you have a deserved site and you want to get a solar field for energy. Why not put it there rather than somewhere that's uh, that's not disturbed? Even using an old pit as a water reservoir. I've seen that in a number of places in the world. Areas that are dry need water or the pits fill up and then you can use it as a reservoir for irrigation and that sort of thing. So I think there's, we really need to think about this more positively and, and more creatively. And there's lots of opportunities um, uh, that don't leave bad legacies behind. And certainly that's the case now. Hey, 
and could not agree with you more and think outside the box creatively for functions. One mine I was looking at, they said after it's done, they're going to keep it hollowed out and make it into a reservoir potentially, which is a great way because the idea of building a reservoir or extending other reservoirs, expanding them could be equally as environmentally damaging. But here, you already got the extraction, you've extracted the materials. Now let's make it a reservoir, which is something highly positive. So hey, mm-hmm. I'd, be, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, mention that you've got like a number of online courses that you're conducting and one's coming right up in uh, September. Can you just mm-hmm. tell us about that, please, Rob? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I do do a, a lot of uh, training, um, and you know, with the pandemic, as with everything else, we've moved stuff uh, online, and so I've really transitioned my training into the online environment. and And I think you can make it a very dynamic one. Uh, I do use Zoom, but then I have another sort of production software behind the scenes that allows me to be integrated into powerpoints and uh, and produce videos and those sort of things. So. Uh, I make it as engaging as I can uh, with the online environment. Um, so if you go to uh, miningessentials.com, uh, that's my website, uh, miningessentials.com, uh, you can see there's a tab there about short courses. And I do have some pre-recorded online courses that uh, people can sign up for. Uh, but I also have a live one that I'm going to be doing right at the end of uh, September. So September 28th to 30th. Uh, and I'm running it over, it's sort of three half days. So Eastern time zone, it runs from uh, noon to four on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, and some people might think, well, that's a bit of a commitment, but you know, there's a lot to talk about that, that, uh, that gives you, that's a equivalent to 12 hours, a really good overview of the industry, um, takes half a day. I've done a number of these now and the feedback's been pretty positive that uh, four hours I can do much more than that. (laughs) You know, I'm getting stir crazy, but uh, uh, that way, uh, you know, I see people do kind of quote mining 101 courses and they're two hours long. Well, that's great. I mean, every little bit counts, but two hours doesn't get you very far. So I like to give it a bit meatier so people really come away with some good value. Uh, So yeah, the last three days of September, um, an online course, and you can register for that at... uh, at, um, at miningessentials.com. So. And I've got uh, a link in the show notes, both to your book, which to me is the Bible, literally, of mining, for especially for investors and non-professionals. Or if you're thinking of making a career of mining, then it's definitely a must. Yes, There it is. We oh. got it right here. And, uh, <laughs> we can I always keep it close by. And uh, yeah, like I said, uh, make sure you get the book. I think it really is essential. And we need more youth, more younger people picking mining as a career because it is exciting. It can be frustrating, no doubt, like any other career, but it is essential and uh, employment prospects are quite good for the future. So we'll put uh, a link to Rob's site there, as well as the course and the book on Amazon. Rob, want to thank you for coming on. If you've got a question for Rob, just shoot me an email to kl at kerrylutz.com. And of course, uh, you can uh, always sign up for a free newsletter at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Rob, really appreciate taking time out to talk with us. I think we've all, all learned a bit from your experience, and I'll look forward to attending one of your courses very shortly, probably the end of uh, September. 
Yeah, perfect. Thanks very much, Carrie. Great to chat with you and uh, look forward to hopefully seeing virtually some of your uh, your listeners at the course in the in the coming months. So good opportunities in the in the mining sector right now. That's for sure. It's an exciting time. Thanks for listening to Carrie Lutz's Financial Survival Network, your solution to today's trying times. For the latest, go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. Financial Survival Network, now more than ever.